Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Building Excellence. I've got uh, Coach Barry Henson with me today. So, Coach Henson, thanks for being here. Bailey, it's, well, it's a privilege to be here. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I went to school with your dad. So uh, that's the only reason you're probably interviewing me is because I probably, uh, your dad probably owes me something. So you're trying to take care of a better. <laughs> no, not at all. If you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us some background on yourself and where you grew up and kind of growing up. What was that like? Well, I grew up in Marlowe, Oklahoma. It's a, a rural community. And uh, there were two things you did in Marlowe, Oklahoma. Uh, you either worked for Halliburton or in the oil field and uh, or you were agriculture related. And my father was the deviant. He was a Southern Baptist minister. So uh, my mother, my father, my brother all graduated from Baylor. And uh, speaking of deviants, I was a deviant. Uh, I went to Oklahoma State University, which at that time, I, I like to tell people it was the Harvard of the Midwest. <laughs> and uh, I got into, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to be uh, involved in politics. I worked for David Bourne and uh, in his senatorial campaign. Uh, I was a guy that carried the broom behind him, sweep out old guard politics. And uh, it was uh, a lifetime goal of mine to be the governor of the state of Oklahoma. And I started off pre-law political science here at Oklahoma State. <clears throat> and then I couldn't afford to go to school. Uh, the most money my dad ever made was $37,000. 37500 uh, was the most money my, ever, my dad ever made in his lifetime. And so I had to go through the college work-study program. And at that time, it was the BEOG and the OTAG, the Oklahoma Tuition Aid Grant. And it allowed me <clears throat> to afford to go to college. And uh, I'm one of the 2% that have actually paid back their student loans. So uh, I wish I wouldn't have. I, I, I wish I'd have been like everybody else and just forget about it. But uh, <laughs> I got here and I started working for a guy named Sam Aubrey, which played for Mr. Iba. And Mr. Iba at that time was in the building. And I would hang out with Mr. Iba, Mr. Aubrey, Chet Bryant, uh, which was the old baseball coach, and Byron Bird, which was the old trainer. And at that time, Paul Hansen had just taken the job as the Oklahoma State basketball coach, and I got the fever. And uh, I wanted to coach. I got hired to be uh, a summer league coach for Stillwater High School by Jerry Havens, which fortunately uh, was my head coach in Marlowe. And I got the bug. And uh, I graduated from Oklahoma State in 1983. Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky did not need a head coach at that time. <laughs> So I decided to start my career at Stillwater Junior High. Hey, well, they do now. So yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're about, yeah, they all, well, we know Duke does. And, yeah. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, I, uh, I got started and I, my desire was to be a college basketball coach. Long story short, uh, took me a long time to get there. But uh, <clears throat> when Bill Self got hired at Oral Roberts University, he hired me to be his assistant. And that started my role. And uh, I was able to be, a head coach uh, for 18 years at the division one level. And uh, I've now been involved uh, 41 years. This will be my 41st season of coaching basketball. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's go back a little bit to the beginning. How did you, you know, what were some things you did? Did you play sports growing up? Were you involved in other activities? And what were those things that you did? Well, when you're in a small school in Marlowe, you play everything. And uh, I, I actually started playing football. I got a concussion when I was a freshman in high school. And I figured out really quick <clears throat> that I didn't want to play football anymore. Uh, true story. I lined up in the wrong huddle. I got up after being tackled, hit in the head. And uh, I'll never forget, we had a, a young man that his dad was a uh, <clears throat> defected from Cuba named Louis Gajardo. And uh, Louis came over and got me out of the other team's huddle. I lined up the other team's huddles. <laughs> and uh, then the next play they ran, I was still in a three-point stance, literally after they blew the whistle dead. So I, I knew at that time I was gone. I, I mean, I was – that's back in the days when they had the old ammonia deals they put under. It didn't affect me at all. So I had a full-blown concussion. And I made a life-changing moment experience <laughs> right at that time, uh, a decision that I would no longer play football. I ended up playing basketball, baseball. <clears throat> ran a little bit of track, but I really loved basketball. I loved everything about it. Jerry Havens was my high school coach. He played for Mr. Iba and then ended up uh, transferring to Panhandle State, playing out there. Uh, most of the things that I have learned to this day, uh, I would say started with the foundation of my high school coach, Jerry Havens. And uh, so it was kind of how <clears throat> I got started. But I love athletics. I love everything about it. Uh, the team building aspect, uh, the power of we, the power of a team. Uh, I, I just thought this is what I want to be a part of. And uh, I got, like I said, when I got to Oklahoma State and being around cowboy basketball and athletics and working in Gallagher at that time, it wasn't Gallagher Ive Arena, working in Gallagher. And for lack of a better term, I was a janitor. That's what it was. So I got to be around all the sports and, uh, it was really a unique time, to be honest. Paul Hansen had just became the coach, and the football coach was a new guy named Jimmy Johnson. So it was a pretty good experience for me. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> so getting to Oklahoma State, you had all your family went to Baylor. How did you wind up going to Oklahoma State after having a family that maybe went to Baylor? Did you have any pressure to go to Baylor, or was it something that you wanted to take a step in a certain direction for politics and whatnot? Yeah, I think we go back to the word politics. Uh, like I said, <clears throat> I'd been elected governor of Oklahoma Boy State. Uh, between my junior and senior year of high school, I kind of got the bug. Uh, at that time, there was a huge senatorial uh, campaign. David Bourne was running it. He was current current governor. And uh, I just thought the world of David Bourne. And uh, I was, like I said, I traveled with him literally uh, for two weeks. Uh, went to these events, introduced him, spoke on his behalf, and really kind of got the bug. Larry Derryberry was running for governor. He was the current attorney general, attorney general at the time. George Nye uh, was governor, if I'm not mistaken. And then, of course, Wes Watkins, which is a big OSU booster, uh, was a Democrat at the time. Ended up changing, being a Republican. But uh, Wes was running for office. So I just kind of got involved in the politics of it. And uh, I was also president of student council, president of the FFA. And so I'd known a little bit about politics and uh so I chose that. I was accepted to Baylor, uh, but I knew that if I wanted to be the governor of the state of Oklahoma, I needed to go through uh, an Oklahoma school. So that's why I chose it. Really? So were there any particular experiences uh, before you got to college that really shaped you as you look back? Well, I think the biggest thing that, ex that I experienced was uh, meeting my wife and getting married after my sophomore year. And uh, I didn't go to summer school. Uh, I worked uh, in the summer. I worked 40 hours a week. 
during school, I'd work, uh, oh, I'd work anywhere from 20 to 30 hours a week. And uh, I was fortunate. I was selected uh, the top 10 in the College of Education, graduated in four years. I remember my last semester at Oklahoma State because I really, it was really a burden on us financially. And, uh, and we had a little girl at that time. And my first daughter, Tiffany, which you, you know, Tiffany. And uh, we were really, uh, I think the biggest experience I learned is that uh, you got to work hard. My last semester, I took 23 hours because like I said, I didn't want to take another semester. I even then we had student fees. So I, <laughs> I just said, man, I can't do that. I got to buck up and bow my neck here. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I think the one thing that when your backs are against the wall, when you're backed up to a corner, there are no other choices. There are, you identify yourself. We're either going to do this or not. And it's survival of the fittest survive in advance. And uh, I know those are sports terms, but there's so, so much compared for great analogies that we use in our life every day. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And that's a great story as well. But, you know, talking about getting into coaching, you started working at Stillwater, uh, was it high school or middle school at the time? At the start? I started actually in the junior high. was uh, Junior high, that's right. Well, I started junior high, started coaching seventh grade AAU. On my seventh grade AAU team was Brent Price that ended up playing professional basketball, uh, played uh, at South Carolina, transferred back to the University of Oklahoma, uh, was Mark Price's brother, and uh, uh, Denny Price's father had seen me coach in uh, junior high and uh, decided he wanted me to coach his AAU team, and that was my first start. Uh, Well, my first start was really uh, Stillwater High School in AAU basketball, which also led me to meet a guy by the name of Mike Delagarza. And Mike Delagarza was a head coach at Edmond. There was only one school at Edmond that time, the OG Edmond Memorial High School. <laughs> and uh, I started uh, coaching summer league. And literally after three years of being in the Stillwater public school system, I was able to join the Edmond staff with Mike Delagarza for one year uh, before landing in Tulsa. And uh, that's a whole nother story there. But what really uh, was great about the junior high job is the first year I coached, I was a lay coach. So I was still in college and uh, I got paid, I think $650 Bailey. And then I had my first contract when I graduated from Oklahoma state, 1983, I went to work at Stillwater junior high and my salary was $13,500. And that also included uh, my coaching for football and basketball. And I was the women's high school head softball coach. Really? You did it 13, all? 13, five, <laughs> did it all. And then when I went to Edmond, I'll never forget, I took my bus driving license. And because you got an extra, I think $700 if you drove. So I had a commercial driver's license. I could have driven an 18 wheeler when I got to Edmond <laughs> legally on the highway. <laughs> Thank God I never had an 18 wheeler, but I literally, uh, that's one of the most pressure deals I've ever did was taking my bus driver's test. Cause you have a highway really? patrolman on your right. <laughs> There's 17 things that you have to do in order to pick up a student on a bus. And any of those 17 that you get out of order or miss, you're automatically denied your license. So you're talking about pressure. Uh, you want to talk, I've had a lot of pressure in coaching. Yeah. That may be the biggest pressure I've ever had was getting my bus driver's bus license. Bus driver's license. <laughs> 
Well, and hopefully all those football guys, hopefully you taught the quarterback not to be in three-point stance, but actually, you know, throwing the ball and whatnot. So the Yeah, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't the greatest of football coaches. I only lost <laughs> one year. They decided, hey, this guy really is a basketball coach. Let's let's find him where he really needs to be. Sure. Well, talk about that too. Uh, was college coaching on your radar at the time? Were you just so focused on being a coach at high school that you didn't think about it? Or was it intentional, like down the road, you'd like to be in college? No, it was, it was college coach was on the radar. Uh, my target, my focus. Uh, I mean, I had a, I had missile lock on being a college basketball coach and I went over, I, I interviewed with Paul Hanson over one. Interviewed with Eddie Sutton, 0 for 2. Interviewed with J.D. Barnett, 0 for 3. Interviewed with, uh, I'm trying to think who else. I tried to get on with Nolan at Arkansas. Uh, interviewed there, and and uh, I went 0 for 5. I'm trying to think who else I interviewed with, but I tried as much as I could to be anybody's college coach. And uh, <clears throat> at the time when the Oral Roberts University job came open, I interviewed to be the head coach. There were four people that interviewed Bill Self, Andy Stoglin, which was an assistant at that time at Arkansas, Tim Carter, an assistant at Northwestern, and then myself. We were the four that interviewed. And I was smart enough and mature enough at that time to know that I wasn't ready to be a head college coach. I went through the interview process. It was phenomenal. Uh, Richard Roberts and Oral Roberts uh, had kind of connected with me, uh, watching me coach at Bishop Kelly there in Tulsa. And we had had great success. We had gone to two. Uh, two state tournaments, two final fours, and uh, uh, they were part of that in playing there in the Maybe Center. But I knew I wasn't ready, and one of the things that I did was I talked about Bill Self in my interview as much as I could, and Bill Self talked about me in his interview, and and, uh, it ended up working out. Absolutely, yeah. So talk about uh, just trying to reach into those jobs. Were you doing things like in the – if you're not playing – if you're not on a team, you're not uh, an athlete – are you working camps in the summer? Are you writing letters? Or what are the things you did to kind of get your foot in the door on, on some of these places? You know, Bailey, it's changed now. It's, uh, it's changed because one, one reason it's changed is there are so many people that want to be at the college level. Now, I want to put this in perspective for you. And I'll tell you the route that I took, but I don't think it's the route that you can take today. You could try it, but it's, it's really much harder to get in the college profession this day and age in the route in which I, ta- I took. I wouldn't change it for anything. Literally wouldn't change my route. Wouldn't change anything that I've done in my career because I think it really shaped me to the, be the person that I truly am. I mean, there are very few coaches out there that can literally say they started at the junior high level, seventh grade AAU level, or I can remember when your dad and I went to school together, I coached the farmhouse fraternity basketball team. I mean, literally scouted our, I I can remember going, uh, we have a, a a, a sports radio guy here named Robert Allen and Robert Mm -hmm. Allen and I would scout other teams and he was the coach of the betas. I coached farmhouse and that's, you know, but but that's what I want to do. I was serious. And uh, I remember as a junior high coach, I wore a coat and tie to every game and, and had my briefcase. I went and scouted in junior high. So I, you know, I tried to take the approach, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to act like it and do it every day. But, you know, I wrote letters. Uh, I made phone calls. I worked as many camps as I could. I went to every clinic that could. I wrote Dick Vitale, a five page handwritten letter, still have a copy of it today. And Dick Vitale wrote me back. And to this day, Dick Vitale has been a very good proponent 
for Barry Henson. He's always been good to me. Uh, matter of fact, we had a game this year. He did a shout-out to me during the game. But I am a huge Dick Vitale fan, not only for what he's meant to me, but what he's meant to college basketball and what he's done with the Dickie V and the Cancer Foundation is just phenomenal. The impact that that man has made. He's changed lives and he saved lives. So, But it's so much harder today. You know, I, I, I alluded to this earlier. Let's put it in perspective. So there's roughly, just for the math of it, there's 350 Division I programs out there that you would like to be involved in. In all honesty, of the 350 Division I programs, to be successful, you probably are looking at 250 schools that if you got involved in, that you could be successful and you could actually make it. Out of those 250, so there's only three full-time assistants. That's 750 jobs for the entire world of college basketball. 750 jobs of 250 programs that you know that you'll have a chance to be successful. I'm not saying that the other 100 can't, but the fact of the matter is that you try to get into a program. Coach Sutton taught me this a long time ago. I, I think this is true. He said, Barry, before you take a job, the thing that you need to look at is look over the history of that program. If it is finished in the top half of that league and above over the years, that's the job you want. If it hasn't, then I don't think that's the type of job you take. And I really took that to heart. Uh, it was a big deal to me. I was a you know, fortunate, Oral Roberts Uni, University. At the time, we weren't even in a league, and we ended up being in the mid-con. Uh, Southwest Missouri State, that later became Missouri State, was always at the top half of the league or better. And the same thing with Southern Illinois University. So that advice that Coach Sutton gave me at that time was huge for me. And so when you look at 750 jobs out there, where you're not going to be the head assistant, well, that's going to that goes out the window. So now we're looking at 500 jobs. You know that the odds of you, you know, because of uh, the global deal now and people wanting to recruit, everybody has somebody on staff that has some sort of foreign connection. Well, there's another one gone because I don't have a foreign connection in all honesty. <laughs> I do now because of my network over the years, but at the time I didn't. So now you're looking at basically 250 jobs for the entire world. And it's just that shows you how hard it is to get in this profession. Absolutely. And not only that, but when you get into it, it's not it's not what everyone thinks. I mean, it's a lot of hard work, like you mentioned, uh, long days, long hours, hard work. But uh, when you have you know a love for it and a passion for it, it makes a difference. And you have to have that to be in it. Well, so. I was young and dumb when I first got started and heavy on the dumb part. And <laughs> not so much the young, but, you know, I didn't get into college coaching until I was in my 30s. But I, you're talking about working hard. So. When I first got into college basketball coaching, first of all, we went on the road to scout. So every opponent, one of us went on the road to scout. I remember Steve Anthes was on our staff at Oklahoma State. He had to go out to Pullman, Washington to scout Washington State. I remember going to Evansville, Indiana, uh, to watching uh, a team that we were – well, we were going to watch Evansville, and I was at Evansville, Indiana scout. And we weren't – hey, Bailey, this wasn't a plane trip. Yeah, <laughs> this was driving. I can remember when Coach and I first got started at Oral Roberts. We wouldn't get in the office till probably nine nine thirty, and the reason being is because we had worked the night before, up until one two in the morning. We actually worked. We could make phone calls back to California 
up until one o'clock in the morning to recruit. And we did all the stamps on the, all the envelopes, did all the season tickets. We did all this stuff. I mean, we literally, we were our own PR department. We didn't have cell phones, buddy. <laughs> you drop off. You want to get, you want to make a phone call in those days. You pulled off side of the road. One of our biggest deals was driving through town, trying to find a pay phone. So yeah. I remember, uh, you know, the, we got the first bag phone. Uh, Coach got a bag phone, had it in his big old van that we used to drive in to go recruit. And it was just amazing. And we would, you know, they charge you roaming charge. We couldn't figure, we had to wait till we got to a big city because we couldn't afford the roaming charges on the bag phone. But <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, you got to work hard. And uh, the great thing about this job is it keeps you young. But one of the things that people don't understand is that you, once you go to work, especially during season, uh, you know, our student athletes are up at literally six in the morning to do strength and conditioning workouts and leave the academic center and building main nights at eight, but some of the nights at nine o'clock. And we're back to it again. As far as coaches are concerned, you know, you're in the office nine, nine thirty every day and you're staying in here. Literally, there are times you stay in here till midnight, especially during the season. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about you. You went to Bishop Kelly and was the head coach and had some success there. And you wound up becoming an assistant at ORU. You had taken an opportunity to, to interview for that uh, head coaching job. But how did you wind up with Coach Self at ORU as an assistant? Well, Coach and I went to school together at Oklahoma State. And I did not know Bill Self until uh, I knew of Bill Self. Uh, I followed his high school career because he played at Edmond Memorial High School for Mike De La Garza. So I knew it. One thing that people don't know, in Bill Self's senior year, he hit seven, seven game-winning shots. Really? Year. Yeah. He was, a uh, matter of fact, he was player of the year uh, in the state of Oklahoma and uh, just a really good, a really good high school player. He was a good college basketball player, real mm -hmm. heady, understood the game, knew how to play the game. Uh, understood his talents, uh, limited somewhat athletic. He probably would get upset if I said that, but uh, <laughs> his athletic ability, he wasn't just throwing up, dunking it on people, but he knew angles really well. He knew how to guard, but he was really a heady player, knew how to go. But I had watched coach play in high school. And then we had an opportunity to go work the University of Kansas basketball camp, Larry Brown's first year. And R.C. Buford, which lived next door to me while I went to school at Oklahoma State, really? called me and said, would you like to come work basketball camp? And if you do, would you mind bringing Bill Self? And Bill at that time was going into his senior year and said, would you mind bringing Bill with you? And we carpooled up to Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, that's when it started, Bailey. Literally, really? that car ride, uh, the car ride back, uh, the, the week of working in camp. Uh, that's 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 when the relationship started, and uh, uh, that would have been uh, that would have been 1984, 80. That probably been the summer of 1984, and uh, for that period of time, I've known Coach Self, and uh, he is. Uh, I told you I've had some guys that have impacted my life. Mike De La Garza and Jerry Havens really impacted my life in the high school coaching ranks, but in college, I've only worked for two head coaches. One of them's in the Hall of Fame, and one of them, I think, is on his way to the Hall of Fame. And uh, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I've been very blessed that I've worked for two guys that not only do I admire, 
but I really have a lot of respect for him. Certainly Bill Self's had a major impact, not on my life, but my family's life. Uh, uh, as you very well know, we've suffered tragedy in my family uh, that some people don't go through. And uh, Bill Self was the first guy there uh, in every one of those situations. Yeah, and that's great. Well, talk about uh, you wound up getting the job at ORU. You know, what was that like? How, how long were you for? I was there six years. Six four years. Four years as an assistant, two years as a head coach. Head coach. I, I want you to think about this, Bailey. I'm the son of a Southern Baptist minister. I'm from Marlow, Oklahoma, Stevens County. There weren't even enough Catholics <laughs> in Stevens County that they had their own church at the time. So they rotated mass, whether it was uh, Duncan, Marlow, Comanche, Rushby, and they would rotate mass. And I ended up coaching at a private Catholic high school for six years. Then all of a sudden I go to Oral Roberts University, which is a charismatic evangelical university. You, I mean, if I can just finish up my career at a Greek Orthodox school, <laughs> I'll come, I'll be able to fit into any service anywhere I go to. Yeah. But uh, Oral Roberts was, uh, it was extremely unique. It's probably, uh, uh, I would say, church on steroids. And it was the first time that I'd ever been around, you know, the Southern Baptist, uh, you had to put a little asterisk mark in the bulletin to when you knew when you were going to stand up. And when you went to the Catholic church, all you did was stand up, sit down, stand. Like I was, my first mass, I was worn out. I'm yeah. sweating. I was, I was so tired after the first mass. Well, it's a good thing you didn't pass out. So yeah, no joke. A lot no of people joke. do. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, and then the thing in a Catholic church, they're not singing the same songs we <laughs> sang in the Southern Baptist church. So I had to learn all these new songs. And, uh, and when they went Latin on me, I was really lost. But then when you went to the evangelical side, they had electric guitars and bass drums, and <laughs> they're swinging back and forth. I mean, the Baptists don't dance. <laughs> you should have seen Coach Self and I at our first chapel. I mean, you, you talk about two guys that looked like they were robot dancers. I mean, we, we were trying to sway back and forth, but we had no rhythm whatsoever. We, we were two ducks out of water, I promise you. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you guys had a lot of success at ORU, and that enabled you to have another opportunity to go to Missouri State or Southwest Missouri State at the time. You know, talk about that. Um, was it tough to leave ORU to go up there, or was it something like you were just really excited about the opportunity that presented itself? Well, it's always tough to leave where you're having success, always, and it's always tough to leave people that uh, you really are close to. Uh, I loved Oral. Uh, I, 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 people ask me all the time, what was Oral Roberts like? And I said, he had that aura about him that he was like a granddad. He was like the guy you'd sit in his lap at Christmas and he'd tell you stories. And he just had an aura about him. And Richard and Lindsay were so good to my wife and I, and we adored them. And I just loved the university. But Steve Alford had just taken the Bears to the Sweet 16. And it was absolutely one of the best jobs in the Missouri Valley Conference. And I'll never forget when I interviewed for the job, Coach Sutton told me at the time, he said, Barry, the Missouri Valley Conference is probably one of the best coaching leagues that I've ever been part of. And he said, uh, and once again, his philosophy was top half or better in that league. And Southwest Missouri State had been there uh, much because uh, they had had such great coaches over the years, and especially in Division One. 
and Division II. They had been national championships. And so it was really, uh, as Bill, I remember, I'll never forget Coach Self told me, he said, this is a job you have to take, but it's the worst time to take it because mm-hmm. they had just gone to the Sweet 16. And Steve Alford was, if you ever wanted to have an All-American poster boy for a college coach, played for Bobby Knight, player of the year, national champion, you know, was uh, on the Olympic team, played professional basketball, Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. <laughs> I mean, he was just like, he was the everything. Goes to Missouri State or Southwest Missouri, takes him to the Sweet 16. It's just like, I'm following this, this icon. And it was really tough, but I was able, uh, you know, I lasted nine years there. And uh, we went to postseason play four times. And uh, everybody knows the story, but, you know, twice we were shunned to go into the NCAA tournament with uh, two of the lowest RPIs and the, the lowest RPI ever in the history of the NCAA not to get selected. And it really, uh, you're talking about things that have an impact on your career. Uh, when we were 21 in the RPI and didn't get to go to the NCAA tournament, that changed my path uh, forever. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, how that one decision at that time could have so much of an effect, but it did. Yeah. And, and let's talk about that too, because, you know, as a head coach, you face a lot of criticism. You have a lot of pressure on you, obviously not as much as, as doing your driving test for the, <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, right. but how do you deal with things like that where you've done everything that you feel like you could have done to, to have a, be- a really good season. And you feel like you put yourself in a place to, to play in the NCAA tournament, spend a lot of time working on that. And then all of a sudden, you feel like you may have been shorted a little bit. How do you deal with pressure like that or maybe a sense of failure? Well, you don't uh, – there will always be a sense of failure. You know, for other – you know, there are people that are all the time, they, you know, they'll, they'll talk about things. They'll say they do things, but inside – and I, I'm one of these guys, I have never, ever in my life been a thermostat. I do not regulate. I am a thermometer. What you see is what you get. But the one thing my father taught me was is one of his favorite lines was buck up and bow your neck. And in the biggest times of adversity, the one thing that I really tried to do was I tried to handle it uh, as well as I could and in a first-class manner. There's a difference between fighting and lashing out. I, I don't think I ever lashed out. I'll never forget when we weren't selected, we were 21 in the RPI. And I'll never forget the next day on ESPN, they have a live feed of Bob Huggins, which is a head coach at Kansas State. And he is going nuts at the time live on ESPN because they were 58 in the RPI and didn't get selected. We are 27 spots, excuse me, 37 spots lower Mm -hmm. than their RPI. And the thing that bothered me more at that time is we had a president that really wouldn't back us. The Florida State, I mean, I remember Florida State didn't get selected and their AD came out and went after the NCAA. We had a president at that time that really, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, really wasn't a strong president. And he didn't go after the NCAA. And that was the, that was the first inclination at that time. I was hired uh, uh, by Dr. John Kaiser at uh, Southwest Missouri State military guy, strong, you know, just stood, stood his ground, loved the guy. And then we, 
uh, we got a new president during my tenure there, and uh, that wasn't uh, that wasn't the beginning of a good time for me at all. And I was really disappointed that we didn't have our administration didn't back us more or back our team more at that time. And uh, I promise you, if we had had any other name, any Power Five name across our chest, we would have been in the NCAA tournament without a dime. But to go back, you just kind of have to handle it, man. And uh, you have to fight for your players as best as you can. And uh, we were good. We were really good. We were a good basketball team. Uh, was Blake Ahern on, on that team? Blake Ahern was on that team. And uh, I, I, it, it was amazing because we had uh, we had to play Stanford in the first round of the NIT. And they were at our place. And uh, it was amazing because – I didn't know how I was going to get our players back up. And so I thought all day long, our practice had been average. We were all down. We were all in a, you know, for a, for a coma, lack of better terms, that we were just kind of, we're, this was before Walking Dead was even a hit. We were Walking Dead. And uh, <laughs> we were just around, mumbling around. And uh, I went in the locker room right before the game, and I wrote on the board, were they right? Or were they wrong? Hmm. And they just walked out. Walked out. I think we had Stanford down. We had Stanford down in the 20s in the first half. We ended up winning, I think, by 13 or 17 or whatever. Had them down 20 in the first half. And we were good. And uh, then we we came back and we beat Houston. And then we played Louisville uh, to go to the Final Four uh, back in Madison Square Garden. And back in those days, it was Rick Pitino goes back to the garden or Barry Henson. We had no shot at buddy. We, we were at Freedom Hall, 14,000. I'll never forget Coach Petito said at the end of the game, he said, Barry, uh, if we'd have played you in Springfield, we, we wouldn't have beat you. And uh, really gracious and really – I tell you what, Rick Petino was always great to me. Uh, quick story real quick on Petino. Yeah. We played there when I was coaching at Southern Illinois. And when I walk in the, the night before, when we walk in for practice, there's a guy there that's uh, – uh, he looks like he's an usher. You know, helps run the building, whatever. And he said, are you Coach Henson? I said, yes. He said, Coach Patino said, give you this. So it's a letter from Coach Patino. said, Barry, welcome to Louisville. So glad. Look forward to seeing you, da-da-da, all this stuff. And great to see you back. Here's two tickets on the floor right across from your bench. These are my quote unquote, Jack Nicholson tickets. You use them for any boosters that you would like to do. I thought that's one of the classiest moves uh, that I'd ever seen. And uh, uh, I, I, I have a great respect for coach Patino. Absolutely. Yeah. What a great story. You know, we talked about a little bit about failure right there, but one of the things is you look back at your story, just in what you've said is no matter what, get back up, work hard. Right. And when you've interviewed for different jobs or you try to get positioned in college, you just kept going. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is what, what is, how, how have you had that mindset throughout your life? Uh, because a lot of people one you know, during one opportunity that they don't get the position that they want or something doesn't work out their way, it's easy to, for them to just quit instead of keep persevering. What, why do you think that is that you have that mindset to keep going? Well, I, I have to give credit to my, to my mother and my father, uh, I've, I've, I've lost, I've, I've lost both of them in the last year. Uh, uh, that's how they raised me. I have to give credit to every teacher that I've ever had, whether it be in grade school, 
junior high, high school. Am is R was were B being B, and I can still say my adverbs. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Freeman, ninth grade English. I mean, I still remember that. Mr. Muncreef, my vocational agriculture on FFA instructor. Uh, all the coaches that I've had. I've mentioned Mike Delagarza, Mike Boynton, and Jerry Havens, Bill Self. The people that I've worked for. The people. Uh, it's been my uh, my safety net. I mean, I, I think that's you know just how I was raised. I you know, <clears throat> your father and I were raised in a different era. Uh, I got whooped. <laughs> I got whooped yeah. a lot. And, uh, man, I had to go cut my own switch. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I can remember in high school, we had belt lines, a belt line. Well, you got in trouble. I mean, it would, you can go to the principal's office. You just had a belt line. A yeah. belt line is where the guys line up. They all take their belts off when you run through. They walk <laughs> in. It's, everything's waist down is legal. Yeah. I had more belt lines than anybody. And because uh, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. And that's yeah. how you learn. And you just got to figure it out. But I do think we came from, uh, we weren't a sense of entitlement. Uh, your father and I were raised that if you need something, want something, well, you go do it. And there's a big difference in needing and wanting. My dad taught me that. He said, you may want that, but you certainly don't need it. Hmm. And uh, you know, my first car was, it wasn't the sexiest of all vehicles, <laughs> mainly. I mean, I wasn't pulling up at the drive drive-in or the drive-through and, and you know, we make the circle there you drive around rick's drive-through and let me just put it this way they weren't any chicks looking my way yeah. driving the 64 skylark, Buick skylark <laughs> that the little old lady drove to church i mean literally i think it had 650 miles on it when <laughs> we bought it but uh, there wasn't anybody looking my way all these other guys are driving trans ams and corvettes <laughs> and nice trucks and here I'm coming in the 64 Buick Scholar. I wasn't turning any heads. I probably, yeah. I couldn't even lay a scratch. Yeah. But I mean, as my dad said, you you need a vehicle. You want that, but you don't need it. And, uh, you know, I had to learn the difference of that. And uh, I grew up in a, a, a society and I grew up in a family that always taught me that it was a privilege instead of a right. And I'm that's why I still, you know, I just turned 60. And uh, uh, by the way, 60 is the new 40, in case you didn't know that. But, uh, you know, I stay young. I'm able to stay young because I'm involved in athletics every day around young men that I get an opportunity to change lives. Uh, every staff meeting that I ever had at Southern Illinois, I finally I, I did this after I just said, don't forget, guys, okay, we save lives. That's how we ended our staff meetings. We save lives. And uh, I truly believe that. I believe that to this day. And so uh, I am very fortunate that I have made so many mistakes over my life and I've screwed up so many times that I've had the opportunity to learn from those. And now I can have the opportunity to teach people that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things I don't want to go uh, too much over your career, but I know um, I want to be conscious of your time, but you, you go from Missouri State uh, you decided to get let go, and then all of a sudden you hop on staff at Kansas, got to be there for a little bit, and had some really good success there. Were there anything in particular that you learned through that experience well, while on staff at Kansas? Well, yeah. I mean, you're at one of the top basketball programs in the country. And uh, I, I think uh, I go back to that privilege. Uh, Bailey, every day that I walk down the hallway to my office, I passed a picture of James Naismith. I mean, 
what, what more can I say? <laughs> Yeah. The father of basketball. And uh, I mean, I, you, you just talk about tradition. You know, I've had the, I've had the opportunity to work uh, at Oral Roberts University, which was one game away from the final four and uh, uh, right in the seventies. And then what they did this year was absolutely incredible. But at Oral Roberts, I got to be around and live at a time when I got to witness Oral Roberts himself, the, the, the man that the university was founded. And uh, so that was a big deal to me. I got to work in a place that went from Southwest Missouri State to Missouri State that had a great tradition. I got to spend 18 years uh, in the Missouri Valley Conference. And uh, is that right? No, 16 years in the Missouri Valley Conference. And it was, I mean, it was just awesome. I mean, to be a part in, in the Missouri Valley Conference has and always most likely will be the best mid-major college basketball conference that there is. And I know they didn't want to ever talk about it, but that's, that's a really a big compliment. And then you go back, I've had a chance to be at two historic universities to coach at, at the power five university of Kansas and Oklahoma state university. I mean, I, I I'm blessed beyond measures. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what about uh, that? The second stint as a head coach over at Southern Illinois, you know, I want to kind of get into, you know, what, what are you, what's your perception of what does it mean to be a good coach and a good leader? Well, I, I, you know, it's kind of like the tombstone deal. When, when you die, what do you want on your tombstone? Uh, I hope that, uh, you know, when you die that, uh, you know, that people could look at me and just say, you know, that guy was crazy. He made <laughs> lots of mistakes. Boy, I, he made lots of mistakes. But you know what? One thing that for sure about that, that was a really good guy. And he, he really had a good heart and he treated people fairly and he helped people as much as he could. And I think if you do that, I, 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 I mean, I wake up every day, I, you know, I, I used to tell people this, I, there, there's, you wake up every day and your feet hit the ground. And I wish I could tell you that I do this every day, but when my feet hit the ground, it's, I want to be a man of God. I want to be the best father and husband that I can be. And I want to be the best at whatever job I'm doing at that day. I don't know if it's coaching, cooking, landscaping, whatever, whatever I'm doing, I want it to be the best. And I wish I could say I do those three things every single day. I don't, but I try to do those things every day. And so those are the things that I think you have to find a mission statement. What is your mission statement in life? What do you want to do? And you try to have to do those. And we're all, you're all going to get off centered. You're all going to get off the road at time, and you got to find a way to get back on the road. And you're going to go through tragedy. You're going to go through adversity. You're going to go through good times. You're going to go through bad times. You're going to go through times that are you know neutral, but you got to figure out a way. What do you want to do? And I, I think the biggest thing is for me that I, I, I just love helping people. I love engaging with people. I love talking to them, of being around them. Uh, I'm the guy that you do not want to sit next to on an airplane. Because <laughs> you and I, we're, we're going to talk. We're going to engage. I, we, there will be no buds. We're not doing. We're not reading books. We don't. We don't. No. You and I are going to have a conversation, and uh, I'm going to learn about you. And you may ask questions about me, but I'm really going to learn about you. And I've done this now for the last 20 years of my life, 25 years to be honest. In the last 25 years, every time I'm on an airplane, I do that with somebody whether it's right or left, but I get engaged in a conference. And right before the plane lands, I asked him the question, 
what's the best thing you do? And you can't fathom the answers that you get to that question. Hmm. And people will always turn around and just say, well, what's the best thing you do? And I firmly believe this. I'm a great communicator. I think I know how to communicate with people and I take great pride in that. Absolutely. Well, talk a little bit about that, uh, about that where knowing your strengths and then also you talked about knowing what you want. Uh, I feel like some people don't always have an understanding of what they want to do and it's a progression. How do people, in your opinion, start to learn and understand about their natural giftedness and then also figuring out what they want to do? Well, it's harder these days. I mean, it's harder. It's harder people to figure out what they want to do because they're, they're on their phones. They're, they're texting or they're emailing or whatever. I don't email. I engage. If I have an email in this department and it's on the other side of Gallagher, I go see them. I go talk to them. I engage them. I get to know them. Do this because that's how you learn. That's how you figure it out. I hate email. I, it's, it's just, I, I, I hate texting. I hate email. You know, uh, with our players, they know I'm not texting them. I'm going to call them. I want to hear their voice. If I tell them something funny, I don't need an LOL. I want to <laughs> hear them laugh. I really want to see them, hear them laugh. You know, I just said, now that FaceTime deal has kind of got me, I'm, I'm kind of liking it. Yeah. Because now I can see their reactions to my jokes and stuff. It's hard because I, I don't really know how to do it. But if they FaceTime me, I know I can hit that button. Yeah. I don't know how to do it the other way. But uh, uh, it is hard for people to figure out. And in this day and age, we've got so many people trying to put us in a box and telling us what to do. Here's the one thing that I would tell people. Do what you want to do. I do not go to work. I, I, I come to have fun every single day. I mean, I'm, for 41 years, I've received a paycheck for doing something that I don't consider work. Hard work to me is sitting in a room at the house and my wife getting after my ass. That's hard work <laughs> right there. I, mean, I don't enjoy that. You know, I, you know I'm, I don't sit still. I'm not good. Uh, she asked me what we were doing for Memorial Day. And I said, I got a list of things we're going to do landscaping. I said, isn't it great? And she goes, this is ridiculous. So, so I think she caught up on all our housewives meals or the Kardashian, Kardashians. Yeah. Kardashians. I think she got caught up on all her shows and you just enjoyed it while I'm outside, you know, doing whatever, hand in dirt, whatever, but uh, yeah, do, you know, Bailey, here's the only thing I'm taking for the people that are listening to this. If you're not happy right now doing what you're doing, stop immediately and go do what you want to do. Life's too short. I know that. You know that. Uh, we've dealt with that. And uh, especially on my side, I've referred to it all once. Uh, I've lost members of my family. Uh, it's been very well documented. I lost my son-in-law Christmas morning, and I couldn't do anything about it. Mm. And it has had an impact on me every single day since. And I'm just telling you, do what you want to do and have fun doing it. You never know when your life is going to end and you need to make sure that every day you just grasp it and let's go baby and yeah. have fun. Cause I, I, I don't even think about the other side of it. Yeah, no, that's so great. I sit there and you think, well, you know, I don't have control of these situations and the brevity of life is so simple and it can be gone quick. And so, you know, if we're going to live our life, let's try to live it in a way that, uh, you know, Obviously, we're glorifying God, but also we're glorifying our gifts and, and, and trying to do the best we can on what we've been given. So 
that's a great, great uh, um, statement right there. You know, one Buck thing. Buck up I'm, and bow your neck. Yes, yeah, there we go. Everybody need. Uh, you know, that's one of the greatest sayings. And my dad talked about all that. You know, just son, buck up and bow your neck. Yeah. Almost sounded like my dad there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, real quickly, you've touched on a lot of different things, but, um, you know, what would you say building excellence means to you? I think it's pretty simple, to be honest. Whatever you're going to do that day, that moment, that second, do the best that you can. That's how you build excellence. And when you make a mistake, which I have done many times, learn from it. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Well, Coach, uh, real quickly, I uh, want to touch on your time at Oklahoma State. You said you worked for two guys in your career, one being Coach Self and then one being Coach Boynton. What have you learned being on staff under Coach Boynton um, at, at Oklahoma State? Well, this is the best part is uh, when they hired me, I was the old bull. And uh, people in Oklahoma know what that is, the old bull, young bull story. But uh, I was the old bull on staff. And there are so many things in college basketball, especially in the last 10 years, that have changed. And I got, I got passed by on the change. And so one of the things that Coach Boynton has done with me is kind of changed my way of thinking in certain aspects of recruiting, coaching styles, these things that I've changed and learned that we have to adapt. And the old, you know, the, the old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, that's not right. You can't. And they're teaching an old dog new tricks literally every day. But I, as I said, I've worked for two guys and been blessed. The one thing that, that, that Mike Boynton, uh, he didn't know me come here from Sickle. And it took a long time for a coach to really uh, to figure out who I was, that trust, you know, the, the Fockers, you know, the circle of trust. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't in the circle of trust. And I had to earn that, which I'm okay with that. And uh, I'm not going to be a head coach again. Uh, I don't have a desire to be a head coach again. I have a desire to help a head coach. And I enjoy my role. I enjoy my role as the advisor. I like it when they say, well, coach, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I really find it funny that when I say, you know, guys, we used to do this and they're looking at me like, coach, uh, we don't have to fax anything anymore. We can actually scan it and email it because yeah. I'll tell them, I say, hey, we could fax and get that scout report. I say, coach, we don't fax anymore. So yeah. it's kind of a, a, a comedy and error in all honesty, but. What you see in Mike Boynton through Twitter, social media, Instagram, whatever, on the TV, what you see is not an act. That is him every single day. That's Mike Boynton. And that's what I love about him. And I'm just telling you what, uh, as I said, I've worked for two guys, and their biggest concern are both. What can we do to make these young men's lives better? And Bill Self, Mike Boynton were both in that, in that thread. And uh, I, I, I've learned so much, and uh, I'm learning every day. I still learn it. And uh, 
Uh, I, I love being around here. I'll give you a quick story and then we can get out of here. Okay. Coach had some food delivered to his house <clears throat> or to the office and he was on vacation. Dry ice box from Brooklyn. And uh, our assistant called and said, said, hey, you've got some food here and said, just give it to Barry. Just give it to Barry. And uh, so I took it home and uh, I opened it up. Well, it's pizzas. <clears throat> There's one square pizza. And that's called Sicilian. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. There's two of those. There's two Sicilian pies, not pizza, pies in there. And then they had two circle pizzas, which I recognize that. But on the top of it was a bag of leaves. Leaves, Bailey. <laughs> I've never seen leaves at Mazio's since I've been here. They don't, they don't come out and say, you want some leaves with your pizza. Yeah. So I called Coach. I said, Coach, I, I got these pizza. I'll put them in the freezer. Coach, I don't know what these leaves are for. <laughs> I don't think you can freeze leaves. And he's laughing. And I'm truly a boy from Marlowe, Oklahoma. <laughs> but I guess in Brooklyn, they bring you out the basil and you can chop up the basil and put on your pizza. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to go out to the maples or something in the oaks, you know, get out and get some leaves and start putting on my pizza. But he laughs at me. I laugh at him. There's a guy from Brooklyn. Here's a guy from Marlowe, Oklahoma. It's, it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. You're constantly learning new things, right? Every day. Every, every day. day. And yeah. uh, he is saying guards now. Uh, he's not, he's no longer saying point gods. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, we, you know, I'll never forget Norm Roberts once said, uh, at, uh, uh, at Oral Roberts, he said, how are you gods? I said, Hey, Norm, at Oral Roberts, we only have one God. He yeah. said, no, <laughs> you're point gods, you're two gods. I said, oh yeah, guards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now coach will say tournament. He'll get tournament down. Yeah. You know, you know I, I don't do tournament. They ain't saying tournaments. You <laughs> <laughs> he's slowly getting the Oklahoma accent back. Oh yeah, so. he's getting that back. Yeah. Hey, real quick, we got a, a quick fire round, so it's kind of the finish the sentence. So if I say a word, you can kind of just finish the sentence. So resilience. Tough. Favorite basketball road trip. <laughs> well, that's that's that. I would say anytime you win on the road. There we go. That works. <laughs> that works. Focus is. I just talked about them. God, family, goals. Hmm, awesome. Favorite barbecue sauce? Barry Henson's barbecue sauce. Is there any other? Yeah. It says it at the bottom of the, the bottle. It says, if this ain't the best barbecue sauce you ever had, you're a liar. Yeah, I tried to tee that one up for you. So. Uh, yeah, there you go. we actually are going to start marketing that. We're going to. Are you? Uh, awesome. you know, we sold it at Southern Illinois, sold out four times. We're going to start selling it again. There we go. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, my mission is. Change lives. It all comes down to God. Awesome. Coach Henson, thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And thanks for what you do as a person, as a coach, making an impact. Um, it, it means a lot and, and uh, you're making a big difference. So thanks for being on here. Bailey, thank you. I, I, in all seriousness, uh, I think the world of you because we talked about my mom and dad. I, I know your dad really well. I know how well you've been taught. I know your mom and uh, you come from uh, apple. Don't fall far from the tree. Huh. And uh, you need to put up uh, that home that you renovated and show everybody what you did because I got, I tell every, I still have the pictures of it, but you change lives. You change people's lives by what you do. Your father's been doing it for years. And uh, I tell you what, as I've said, the apple don't fall far from the tree. Thank you, buddy. God awesome. bless you. And have a great week. Thanks so much. 
Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.